You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. From Pakistan to Prince Edward Island, floods have been intense this year. But that's not new. Each year for the past few years, we've seen floods become more frequent and more destructive. Remember British Columbia last year where the floods destroyed a whole highway that stranded 18,000 people? The year before that, just as the pandemic started, 13,000 people were forced to flee Fort McMurray, Alberta after ice jams caused the Athabasca and Clearwater rivers to overflow and create major floods. It's scary. Flooding is Canada's most common and most costly natural disaster. Right now, across Canada, flooding is considered the biggest climate change risk and consumes more than 75% of federal disaster assistance. Between 2008 and 2021, there were over 460,000 internal displacements in the country, all of them tied to climate disasters. Some of that figure includes people who had to move more than once. And just last year, 60,000 Canadians had to move for some period of time due to disasters. It's not just costing the government, it's costing us. Flooding has caused approximately $1.5 billion in damage to households, property, and infrastructure in Canada annually in recent years. So why don't we just get ahead of it and move before the floods come? A recent government report on flood proposes something like that. It says, The foreseeable future suggests that Canadians must learn to live with water. Yet the country cannot do this at the expense of safety, fiscal responsibility, or equity. So how do we do that? How do we learn to live with water? I'm Fadma Sayed, sitting in for Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. We are halfway through Narwhal Week, where me and my friends at the Narwhal, one of Canada's leading journalism publications on the climate emergency, bring you deep conversations about the biggest emergency of our times. Joining me today to make floods a little less scary is my friend, Drew Anderson. He's the Narwhal's Prairies reporter based in Calgary. Hi, Drew. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm great. I'm very excited to make flooding interesting for people. (laughs) It can get pretty interesting, that's for sure. So I want to get straight into it. Earlier this year, you wrote about a community that's at risk of disappearing if flooding continues in that region. Tell us a little bit about Lehigh. Well, Lehigh is this tiny little community that is part of a larger town uh, called Drumheller. It's sort of famous for uh, dinosaurs. It's uh, it's nestled into the the Badlands in southern Alberta. Um, you know, it's surrounded by hoodoos. And, and just up the highway a little bit from Lehigh is the Royal Terrell Museum, which is world famous for its dinosaur collection. But Lehigh itself is just this this tiny little spit of land. It, it juts out into the Red Deer River. Um, it's flat, surrounded by cottonwood trees. And, you know, as of July, update from, from the town, uh, the most recent update, it's home to about 12 people. 
Um, so it was once a more bustling place, you know, it was, uh, there was the coal mine that operated and, and both Lehigh and the nearby community of East Cooley, which is also part of Drumheller, were sort of, you know, bustling places, home, homes for coal miners and their families. But now it's sort of, you know, emptied out and quiet and on the edge of town. Okay, so tell us how bad the issue of flooding has been in Lehigh. It saw some pretty bad flooding in 2013 and 2005. And it was, yeah, largely underwater. Um, The basements were full, uh, sometimes a little higher than that. I mean, this is low flat land that is right sort of sitting in the river. So so when those waters rise, and they do uh, quite often on the Red Deer River, Lehigh goes underwater. I'm curious, how did this town of 12 people come on your radar? Well, it's sort of part of a bigger problem um, in Drumheller. Drumheller, the whole length of it, I mean, it is this sort of narrow band of of homes and businesses and everything else that that follows the river. So it's, it's sort of nestled in this narrow valley and it stretches down this long line. And Drumheller has been really busy sort of looking at its flood risk and trying to figure out what to do about it. So, you know, Lehigh is one small part of this larger town puzzle. They're investing in berms, uh, the whole length of it. They're they're looking at what they can save, what they can't, um, how they can build up their defenses against this river. And it was just sort of interesting that, you know, as part of this debate, there was this small community that was going to be wiped off the map. So, you know, no berm for Lehigh, no protection for Lehigh. It's just the town or this little community is is just going to be gone. If the place is at risk of being decimated by flooding, why don't they just relocate to another part of Drumheller or elsewhere in Alberta? Yeah, and and that's sort of the heart of the question. But you know, when we're when we're dealing with stuff and, you know, it's easy to get lost in these big numbers, you know, it's, um, you know, millions of dollars of damage, you know, thousands of cubic meters per second of flood water. But when you really drill down into this stuff, it's a really personal story for those people who are affected. And, and that's true of Lehigh as well. You know, this isn't a question of, oh, why don't you just simply move? This is their home. You know, John Carls is 83, maybe 84 now. Um, He has settled in Lehigh and he doesn't want to move. He's, you know, he's old. This is the place where he wants to live out his days. You know, Penny Head lives there with her husband. They fixed up this home. They call it their forever home. They were, you know, dreaming of spending the rest of their days there and, you know, drinking wine with their neighbor, Dawn. They have attachment here. They have hopes. They have dreams. This is about where people live. It's not just dollars and cents to them. Let's put this in context first, right? I mean, you and I work for the Narwhals, so we know this, but how do we tell the people that flooding is going to get worse? You can tell them. I don't know if you can convince them, but I mean, flooding is going to get worse. You know, in Alberta, we had the the big floods in 2013. It impacted where I live in, in Calgary. Um, it raged through the southern part of the province. And it was a real wake-up call, I think, for people, you know. And I think maybe flooding needs to happen in your area before you really do sort of clock it in a way. But 
this is a big problem. It's a big problem now. It's going to get worse. Pretty much all of the projections throughout Canada indicate that flooding is going to get worse on the coastlines. It's going to get worse along rivers. And Canada is a nation that's, you know, built next to (laughs) water. Um, There's a lot of people Uh, More than 6.5 million Canadians live along coastlines and all the others live next to water. Basically, the cities are built along rivers if they're inland. They're built along the coastlines if they're on the coast. So these things are going to happen. Storms are going to get worse. Rainfall is going to get worse. And it's going to it's going to impact a lot of people. So there's lots of Lehigh's across the country. Is that what you're saying? There's lots of Lehigh's. I mean, follow a river in Canada and think about all the people that live along it. Um, Look at Vancouver, look at Halifax, look at Montreal, look at all of these places that have that risk of floodwater just sitting, sitting right there. And, And the difficulty of climate projections and exactly what's going to happen. I mean, we can say that it's it's increasing and certainly, you know, a federal task force has said flood risk is increasing. Uh, the risk of flood mixed with the proximity of homes and businesses and all the rest. But um, there's also a lot of question marks about just exactly what that's going to look like. You know, we heard Environment Minister Stephen Guibault tell CBC just last month after Hurricane Fiona that, you know, maybe the federal government should start thinking about how do we how do we tell people that, you know, they have to leave their their home area because it is at risk to more severe flooding. We see that conversation happening in other countries too, like in in Pakistan, which, you know, a third of it was underwater. And I know they're having conversations about where do we rebuild so that people aren't in flood prone regions. How do you have that conversation? How do you convince them? It, is it even possible? Well, people that I spoke to for this story, and certainly I've seen it in other research, indicates you, you need to involve those communities in that conversation. And you need to involve them as early as possible. Um, you can't just come in, you know, tell people that you're going to expropriate their homes and they got to get out. And here's the deadline. And here's the check. Thank you. Uh, we hope you land safe. <laughs> you know, it doesn't it doesn't work that way. And it, and, and it engenders a lot of anger from those local communities because, you know, a government comes in and says, we have this priority, we have this budget line, we have this much money for a berm, and we have this much money to buy you out. Thank you very much. But when you're talking about, yeah, those really direct impacts for people, it just doesn't work that way. So conversations right from the get-go, working with the community on sort of the best way forward is kind of the only way that you can go about these things, I think, without creating a a larger mess. I mean, people aren't going to be happy. I don't think you can ever go into a community. I mean, we talked about the hurricane earlier this year. Think about how old those communities are in Canada. Think about, you know, First Nations and Indigenous communities across the country and the attachment to land. I mean, you know, these are difficult conversations to have, but if you don't involve the community and try to work towards a solution you're going to run into serious problems and you're going to run into a really antagonistic uh, process where you're just expropriating land and dealing with a lot of anger. So, I mean, okay, step one is community consultation. What comes next? Like, you know, how do we identify what areas need to be relocated? Like, Like Drumheller seems to have done where they've figured out that Lehigh is in danger. And then how do we, you know... Do we just tell everyone to move overnight or, or or do we have to like, is this a years long process that we're looking at? Yeah, well, and this goes back to sort of, you know, 2013 really 
kind of scaring the Alberta government and, and municipal governments across the province because so much of southern Alberta was underwater. They sort of had a look at, you know, outdated flood mapping and whatnot and said, okay, we need to get our act together. And so Drumheller has really, you know, been serious about that with the help from the province of looking at, okay, here are the different projections. Here's how they might change. This place is underwater at a one in 50 year flood. This place is underwater. And then looking at how much more severe that could be. So that work is possible and it's being done in some places. I don't think it's being done everywhere across the country. So, I mean, yeah, you go through, you do that work, you you sort of identify it. And I think it does happen over years. I, I don't think you can just come in and, and do that. I think, you know, it goes back to having those conversations and involving the community early on and looking at what you can do and what can, you can afford to do. I mean, these are big, expensive propositions, uh, you know. The little town of Drumheller is spending tens of millions of dollars in flood protection and, you know, has set aside $22 million just to buy out homes uh, because they can't protect them. They can't afford to. Think about, you mentioned Pakistan. Think about the costs involved in that. Think about the logistics involved in that. Think about a place like Miami and vacating <laughs> that area. Think about some of these major, major inhabited areas on a scale that Canada just doesn't understand. And think about the costs involved in that and the and the logistics of moving millions of people and getting rid of billions and billions and billions of dollars of infrastructure. It's a long process. And I think that conversation, we're already behind in having it. And it's important that we start having it now. Okay, if we have to relocate those 12 people, and that's just 12 people in, in Lehigh, where do you put them? Do we have enough houses in uh, low flood risk places um, for, for people to spend out the rest of their lives? It's a huge issue, clearly. It is a huge issue. And, you know, do we have room for people in Canada? Yes. But, you know, we're, we're a pretty lucky country in terms of the amount of land that we, that we do, in fact, have. Affordability comes into that though i mean do we have affordable places to put people and that was a that was a real problem for these 12 people in lehigh you know they're they're looking at losing their homes they're sort of resigned to the fact that they are going to have to leave at some point the town is going to get rid of them um, they're going to clear this land one way or the other but they've got beautiful homes in this park-like setting next to a river that aren't very expensive and the town's giving them you know pennies on the dollar, essentially, compared to what they think they should get, and they can't afford to recreate those homes somewhere else. So they do, they're, they're wondering where they go and what they can afford. And you know what, I would probably argue that they are comparatively lucky. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that would have even greater financial pressures if they were sort of put in this situation. And yeah, where do they go from there? And how do they find that, that same sort of place to live? I'm wondering, Drew, and this is a slightly, I think, a hot take question. Is it cheaper to move people? Because we are talking about costs, right? And municipalities, as we've learned over years and years, they have limited budgets and this is going to cost us billions. Is it cheaper to relocate people 
to, you know, save them from the impacts of severe flooding? Or is it cheaper to save areas, to identify areas to save and, and fortify them? Like, is it cheaper to fortify Lehigh, for example, and, and let those 12 people stay there? Ultimately, no. I mean, not with Lehigh. And, you know, governments do the calculations here. I mean, there is this cold, hard bureaucracy that comes in and says, okay, you know, yeah, we can build berms, we can build flood protection. But at least in Alberta, there's a ratio of one to one. If we're going to spend a million dollars, we have to be protecting at least a million dollars worth of infrastructure and homes. Mm -hmm. So they come in, they do the calculation, they say, okay, what is the ratio here? It's going to cost this much to build a berm in Lehigh. The ratio in Lehigh was, I think, 0.12. So well below the one-to-one ratio. Uh, In downtown Drumheller, it was something like, you know, a one to 50 ratio. So they're going to spend a million dollars and they're going to save $50 million of infrastructure and homes. So there is a cold calculation there. Um, You know, in Lehigh too, it was a question of, well, we built this berm, but the land is pretty porous. So we think the water is just going to bubble up under the thing anyway. I mean, there was no way to sort of look at this and say, we're going to be okay. And if you look at, you know, areas outside of that, there is going to be that same sort of calculation. Is it worth it to rebuild New Orleans over and over and over again? Is it going to be worth it to, you know, fix Miami Beach every time there's a hurricane? Is it going to be, you know, worth it to keep rebuilding these places or to suck up that one initial big cost and make sure that you're not doing that every time there's a disaster? For the for the people who stay, Drew, for the mm. people of Lehigh, for example, that stay are they able to access sort of, you know, the insurance they need to protect their properties from severe flooding? Are they able to access the supports they need to survive flood after flood for now, in the interim anyway? In the interim, um, yes, they could have access to disaster relief through the province once um, that will cover some of their costs. Um, if they're living in a floodplain, the insurance is definitely a problem. And you know, the, the town will be there to help them while while the community exists, but they won't be there forever. You know, let's say, you know, John Carls is like, I'm not moving, barricades himself in his house. I mean, you know, the town is basically saying, we can't go help you every time this area floods, you know, you're on your own, mm-hmm. but we also can't, you know, let that happen. We can't just leave people to be at risk. And that's part of this conversation too, is, you know, when Drumheller floods, they can't go in and save Lehigh every time. They can't go in and save these people. And so they will be out of that money. Um, they will be out of that help. Uh, they won't be able to rebuild their homes. Insurance isn't going to come in and say, you know, okay, we'll, we'll cover the cost of that. Um, they're living in a floodplain and that has that has consequences now. So I guess what are we left with? Do we just, you know, build an emergency bunker? <laughs> if we don't want to move and we don't want to adapt and we don't have the money, what's uh, what's the way forward? <laughs> I don't know if a bunker would be the best in a flood, but <laughs> it would have to be pretty <laughs> waterproof. Stilts, I mean, that was an idea that was floated by some of the Lehigh folks, um, but it just doesn't work. I mean, you could you could be on your stilts stuck in your home with water everywhere and emergency crews can't really get to you. You know, there's, I mean, you know, we're making light of it, but there, it's a, it's a damnable situation. I, I don't really know what you do. I ultimately people are going to have to leave these areas. I mean, if an area is going to be consistently flooding 
you can't live there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a that's a big problem. I mean, we built our cities in floodplains. Uh, you look at Calgary, which was underwater in 2013. Vast swaths of the inner city were underwater. There's still people there. I mean, downtown Calgary is not going anywhere. The homes along the river are not going anywhere. They tried to buy some people out through a voluntary process that didn't really work. That was in 2013. We're now in 2022, and we still don't have our flood mitigation in place. We're still trying to build the dry dam in Springbank that will help downtown Calgary. Um, we're still trying to get these things done and they are happening, but it's slow. We're talking about 10 years and it's just kind of a cross your fingers and hope it doesn't flood again situation until those <laughs> those situations are in place, until those mitigation measures are in place. And so far, so good. But, you know, next year, next snow melt, next rainfall. You visited Lehigh. Mm. Do you feel like after you spoke to John Carl and, and Penny and, and all the other people that you did speak to, do you get the sense that there is hope for, for those communities that are at risk of severe flooding or are you fearing the worst for them in the months and years to come? Certainly in the case of Lehigh, it was, you know, there was a, a sort of sadness. Um, there wasn't hope. You know, it was... How do we get the best deal now going forward because this town is gone? This town is dead. This little community will not exist. So there wasn't hope for them. And I think that that will be the same in a lot of communities. I mean, it's depressing to say, but, you know, historic communities in Canada um, where people have built these lives, where they've raised their children, um, where they had hopes and dreams for what's to come, they're they're going to be gone. Um, And... I don't think there's anything ultimately you can do about that. We're just these tiny little people in the face of, you know, an increasingly angry climate. I don't want to end at a depressing note. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's 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 have a little ray of hope because I mean there are promises in in how you develop new communities and how you move forward and how you build resilience. I think that if we start having these conversations and we start thinking about how you adapt to climate, you can have beautiful communities that people live in and you can have resilient communities where we don't have to have these kind of conversations in the future. Yeah, and I'm encouraged by the fact that people are doing the work. Like we now do have, you know, a task force that is mapping the country, that is mapping provinces to to identify the regions that are at risk and start having those conversations more seriously. Do I wish that those conversations started like a decade earlier? Sure, but they've started and I think... That's encouraging. Um, Drew, thank you so much for talking to us about Lehigh. And uh, hopefully it'll be a, a story that other communities will also learn from and, and you know, start the conversation on how to protect ourselves from flooding. You're hoping, yeah. <laughs> it was my pleasure. Thanks for, thanks for the questions. So that was Drew Anderson, the Narwhal's Prairies reporter. And that was another episode of Narwhal Week on The Big Story. And we're thrilled to hear from you that you're enjoying these conversations. Please keep sending over those good vibes. We want to hear your thoughts on all the things we're talking about. And if you want to learn more, you can always read Drew's stories on the narwhal.ca. And we've linked to some of them in the show notes. If by now you still don't know what the Narwhal is, we're a nonprofit online magazine that has no ads and no paywall thanks to the support of our more than 4,600 members. 
If you join our pod, you get a tax receipt and cool swag like a toque. So if you want to support more award-winning climate journalism and, you know, fuel more conversations like the ones we've been having this week, visit the narwhal.ca slash member. Join our pod by donating literally whatever you can afford. If you like what you're hearing on the show this week, tell them and then tell them what other conversations you want to hear about the climate emergency or literally anything else. You can contact the show on literally any platform. They're on Twitter at the Big Story FBN. They have an email, hello at the Big Story Podcast.ca. You can even call them 416-935-5935. They're on all the podcast apps. You can even ask your smart speaker to play the big story. Like there's no excuses here. I'm Fatma Sayed, sitting in for Jordan Heath-Rawlings. I'll be back tomorrow with another one of my friends at the Narwhal to talk to you about some new thing about the climate emergency. See you then.